Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. The book of Jonah, this book that to some people is a bit fishy. Some would even say that this book is difficult to swallow. (laughs) You know, you just, there's the dumbest jokes. I just heard somebody say this, and I thought to myself, that guy is the biggest nerd in the world, and he's a pastor, but I thought I would try it out tonight. Actually, this book is so astounding that many um, interpreters of the Bible, both Uh, liberal Christians, you could call them. Um, Liberal comes in many forms. You can be liberal in the sense in not believing in miracles, like the Sanhedrin or the Sadducees were. That's a liberal view of the Bible. It's an incorrect view of the Bible. Um, So liberal Christians and also um, critics who I've been mentioning on Thursdays, of the Bible uh, say that this book is so astounding and so unbelievable that some interpret it as a uh, metaphoric book, um, a mythological book that tells a story, kind of like Homer's Iliad, if you've ever heard about it or you're familiar with it, um, you will find Homer's Iliad riddled throughout even our Hollywood movies not, not so much the entire story, but pieces of it thrown in. If you've ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That is supposed to be a mod- modern version of Homer's Iliad. Has anybody besides Americans and Germans seen that movie here? You've probably not even seen it in Germans. No one? It is such a good movie. You should watch it. It's hilarious. And it's clean, which is unusual for movies nowadays. Well, these guys, Homer's Iliad, it's a lot of story. One of the pieces of Homer's Iliad, have you ever heard of the sirens, those mythological creatures on an island, and the sailors, they go by in their boats, and um, they would hear the sirens um, singing, and they were so captivated by the beauty of the music, kind of like you guys were tonight with my vocal uh, abilities. I'm kidding. But these sirens were so amazing vocally that the men who were on the sailboats could do nothing but divert their boats to the island. And the sirens, when they would get out, these mythological creatures would eat them. (laughs) So... um, it's, beauty is dangerous sometimes, guys. 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 <laughs> Be careful. Um, and, and so some believe it's like that, or like a, you know, a uh, Herman Melville's book. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of it, called Moby Dick, that mythological 
whale that is, you know, five times larger than any real whale that just destroys everything in its path. Some people interpret it that way. And it's, um, it's an incorrect interpretation. I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, secondly, some people interpret the book of Jonah allegorically. They say it symbolizes certain things. Jonah represents the Jews. Uh, the ocean in Jonah represents all the other nations of the world, okay? Um, the whale represents um, the Babylonian captivity of the Jews uh, as the whale swallows up, or not the whale, the fish, excuse me, uh, swallows up Jonah. And then also the, uh, the fish representing the Babylonians after 70 years of captivity spits out the Jews, Jonah, um, on dry land, on land that is now the promised land of the nation of Israel. And some interpret it that way. And then there's the proper way of interpretation, and that is the literal way. Um, that this is a historic book, a, a historic book that represents the very accounts of true events. Um, we can know this through a couple ways to be true. One of the ways is in the Second Kings, the book Second Kings, I believe, if um, my memory serves me right. I have this terrible cold, so if, if my voice sounds weird, uh, that's why. The book of Jonah is a historic book um, because in Second Kings, it mentions his name. It mentions Jonah, the son of Amittai, uh, and then also, this another reason, I could give you more than two, but another reason we know for sure that Jonah is an actual historic account is Jesus himself mentions that Jonah actually was in the belly of the great fish. Um, and so Jesus says is, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man must be three days and three nights in uh, the earth. And, and so we know that this is a true account. This isn't a mythical story. This isn't a allegorical story. This is an actual historic event. Let's, let's begin reading here. And, and, um, Actually, I wanna, I wanna just tell you real quick, the Ninevites, who they are. The Ninevites, uh, the city of Nineveh was the capital city at this time of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, obviously non-Jew, they were Gentiles, and they were wicked people. Um, you're gonna see that Jonah is very upset that God is calling him to preach the gospel to them. Um, Few, few facts about Jonah, if I'm not mistaken, I think Jonah is still the largest uh, revival in human history. There's never been a revival like that in one day, okay? Um, the entire city repents in one day. Now we've had revivals that have had more people get born again in periods of time, but never a revival like 
uh, the Ninevites all repenting in one day. Can you imagine all of Eldoret repenting today? What a, what a glory. The biggest revival in human history in one day. They were a wicked city. They did everything you could imagine a wicked city would do. Child sacrifice, just like wicked cities do today. By the way, in all the cities around the world, abortion. It, it is a glorified term of just saying murdering babies. Murdering babies. Uh, they, they do it here, they do it in Nairobi, they do it in every city in America, abortion. Um, and so that's an issue that obviously Jonah has an issue with them about. Um, they did everything in terms of sexual immorality. Uh, they, they were not just man with woman in some sort of uh, fornication or adultery. They were uh, homosexuals and, and lesbians and, and bestiality. Everything you could imagine was a part of this city. Um, and so Jonah has issues with that. One other thing about the book of Jonah that is unique is that Jonah is unique in that prophetic books like Isaiah is a story about the word of God coming to a prophet. This is a story, yes, about the word of God coming to a prophet, but more specifically, this is a story about a prophet where Isaiah and Zechariah um, and all these other prophetic books are stories ab about the word primarily, the words that comes to the prophet. This is the story about the prophet himself and his resistance against God's will and against God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So right here we have the prophet receiving the word and the will of God. And he runs away from God. When my father passed away, my father was a bit of a scoundrel. Um, he really was a man who, though I do believe showed fruit of repentance the last five years of his life, so I believe in God's grace, in, in forgiveness, he is in heaven. He lived a life of uh, selfishness. I'm trying to be tactful. Um, selfishness. Just He was so deceived that... You know, at one point when I had gotten saved, I got, well, I'll, yeah, I was born again. I called him and I said, hey, dad, I just want you to know I forgive you. <laughs> and he told me, for what? <laughs> he, 
hey, Dad, I just want you to know I forgive you. For what? Say, he was getting us drunk when we were little boys. He was physically abusive at times towards my mother and my brother, uh, my brothers. Um, you know, he acted like he would do us a favor if he handed us, you know, a, a couple thousand shillings and never buying food for us. He, he was a really deceived guy. So it was, it was actually, because I don't know, I maybe have a, a weird sense of humor. It was comical to me that he would say, for what? As many of you laugh tonight. Because of the irony of somebody being so wicked and not understanding why they would need forgiveness from a, from a son or a daughter. Now, his needing forgiveness from me uh, did not deter, him not wanting it did not deter me from actually forgiving him. I meant it, I forgave him. But he was a wicked man, he was so deceived, he didn't even think all the stuff he did was wrong. He believed in polygamy. He tried to convince my mom and other women to, and that is not an American thing. I know in Kenya, you might, you know, this is more accepted, though I'm not, I'm not saying anybody in here accepts that. But he was just that kind of guy. And, and, but I can see the Lord's grace on him the last few years of his life. And, but when he died, people were very upset at the notion that I mentioned he is probably in heaven at his funeral. Now, his funeral was about eight people. You Kenyans are very gracious about your funerals. You can have the worst person in the world, he'll still get 100 people at his funeral. <laughs> not, not at American funerals. If somebody's a scoundrel their whole life and selfish, they're not gonna get a big funeral. It's not gonna get it. So, he, you know, he got that, but some of my brothers and then um, another member of my family, they're just like, how can you say that? How can you say that? And I said, his, his salvation is not about his sin, it's about Jesus' salvation and his having a great savior. It's like Isaac Newton said, he says, I've realized in my life I'm a great sinner, but Christ is even a greater savior. But that's not my point, that's a grace issue. My point is, this is Jonah. A lot of the members find it. They're, they're just so upset with somebody's sin that they can't show grace to them. So, so, so in hatred over their sin, that's kind of Jonah. He hates these Ninevites. And he, he doesn't want them to be forgiven. He doesn't want to go there and preach the gospel to them. So he runs away from the Lord. Now you remember that I've mentioned the last kind of month a couple things in regarding the presence of Jesus Christ, the presence of God. First of all, we know, and Jonah should have known, and he does in a sense, but who knows everything he was thinking. We know that we cannot escape the presence of God. And we've seen that in scripture. Remember the disciples in John's gospel. They go into the upper room and they lock the door shut. And it's more than just lock it, like they, 
They put barriers, they locked it. That's the language we get in the Greek in John's gospel. And they were hiding themselves, you remember, from the Jews, from the chief priests or whoever it is who had the authority to have them arrested and potentially killed or imprisoned for knowing Jesus Christ. But those locked doors, or that locked door, did not stop Jesus from appearing in the midst of them. And one of the points that we learned a couple weeks ago is we cannot escape the presence of, of God. We can't do it. He is omnipresent. And we get so deceived so quickly. Um, in not understanding that God can get to us. Maybe we have that understanding that, yes, he's everywhere at the same time. But whatever deception we can be under, we got more time. By the way, thinking we have more time is a deception. The Bible even encourages us, don't think you have more time. Don't consider about tomorrow. That's not to say we don't make plans, but you don't need to worry yourself about tomorrow, for today has enough of its own. So many people lose the fruit they can have today because of the worries they have tomorrow. So self-absorbed, so inward thinking, one of the terms I've heard, you know, passed around the church is inward eyeballs. The only thing they see is inside of themselves. Their eyes look in. They're not concerned with blessing somebody today, praying for somebody today, giving to somebody today, because they have worry about tomorrow. That's one of the deceptions we have when it comes to the presence of God. We may acknowledge, yeah, he's always here. We get it, he's omnipresence. It's one of the doctrines of the Bible. But we will go on at times, even in sin, thinking he'll give me another day. He'll give me tomorrow. I'm young, but after all, I'm only 20 or, or 25 or 30 or 35 or 40. And the deception doesn't get more. In fact, it gets, you get harder as you get older. That's one of the ways we run from God, thinking we have tomorrow. One of the other ways that we run from God's presence, this is just a little sermonette, by the way, because Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. So one of the ways is thinking we have more time. We lose the fruit of the day by worrying about tomorrow. We lose the blessing of today by taking in the pleasure of today and tomorrow. So we think we have more time, but, but secondly, we abuse God's grace. That's one of the ways we run from God. We abuse his grace. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. How are you who are dead to sin live any longer in it? Galatians 5 says, walk in the spirit 
and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. You know what has amazed me about the Christian life? We abuse God's grace. We think that it's, it's kind of closely linked to thinking we have more time. Oh yeah, you know what amazes me? Is that people can gather for themselves an immense amount of Bible knowledge, literally become scholars of the Bible and not walk in the spirit at all. And we could have that question, it's like, man, how is it possible that somebody could actually be a scholar of the Bible and not be closer to God, the spiritual life, because of it? Well, there's many reasons for that. I don't want to give a bunch, but we do know it's possible, and you know how? Because even the demons believe in the word, and even Satan himself knows scripture very well. In fact, I would, uh, I think it's absolutely true that Satan, being a genius, can quote the entire Bible by memory. He certainly quoted a few scriptures by memory, and the temptation that he was involved with with Jesus in the wilderness, you can read your Bible all day long and not have any fruit, not walk in the Spirit in any way. That is a possibility. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others. You know, have you... Well, many of you aren't married, but when you get married, you know, you're supposed to do devotions in the morning, people. Did you know that? Read your Bible and pray every morning. If you don't, you're at a great disadvantage. Well, anyways, the, <laughs> when you get married, you'll sometimes at like 11 a.m., you'll get in a little controversy with your spouse, and you'll be like, didn't you do like an hour devotions this morning? It's like, why are you so crazy right now? I'm not talking about Kelsey. I'm talking about my first wife. She is my first wife. Um, you can absolutely read your Bible. We need to walk in the spirit. It's a conscious desire and effort. Yes, an effort to make sure we are obeying the spirit of God that is in us. And so that second way that we run from the presence of God is abusing his grace. Continuing in sin, oh, tonight we are young. It's like, now nah, I'm gonna do some fun right now, some partying, and in the future, I'll serve the Lord. It's dangerous. You can't run from the presence of God. We're gonna discover that here. But the Lord sent out a great wind. He has many ways he can get to us. He can get to us through a person to speak into our lives. 
And he can, he can get to us, you know, through many means, even through the weather itself. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, that's a storm, on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. It's so powerful, it's going to break this ship up. And the mariners were afraid. Every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea. Um, the reason they would do that is the ship was taking on water and they need to get, uh, it's easier to throw a, a desk off a boat than pick up the water out of the boat and throw it off. So they needed to lighten the load on the ship. Which, by the way, I don't want to get too allegorical um, because, or too symbolical because this is a historical book, but one of the ways, if I were teaching at a pastor's conference the book of Jonah, I would say one of the ways to save your church is to lighten the load at the church by throwing people out. Now, at first you're like, oh my, pastor. <laughs> That seems so rude. No, it's not. Because the Bible even commands us to get rid of unrepentive people and wolves. And oftentimes, and, 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 and by the way, it's not a matter if, if wolves and divisive, unrepentive people are in the church. It's a matter of when. Because every church will get a wolf many of them. You know why? Because there's a lot of sheep in the church. We are the sheep of his pasture. And you know what wolves like to eat? They love to eat sheep. Sheep is one of the wolves' favorite meal. You know why? Because they're easy to hunt and kill. Sheep are incredibly easy to hunt and kill. They're the easiest. You know, as far as my recollection, uh, recollection, recollection, I'm sick, don't judge me. As long as my memory serves me, I think sheep is the only animal in the animal kingdom that doesn't have one offense or one defense. A sheep can't kill even a baby. What's it gonna do, gnaw it with its flat teeth? It has no offensive weapons. It has no defensive weapons. Sheep are totally reliant on its shepherd. And as a shepherd, one of the ways that we save the ship, the church, is by casting those wolves out when we get them, casting them out. You know, one of the things I wasn't ready for when I came into ministry and, and, and I kind of was aware of it theoretically, but I wasn't aware of the pain and heartache it would take to throw the wolves out of church. You don't want to throw wolves out of church. You don't want to throw people out of church, I mean. So discerning whether or not somebody's a wolf, you know how you discern if somebody's a wolf? Because there's pieces of sheep lying in the church. You got an arm over there, and you got a leg over there, and you got a bloody head over here. People are destroyed, their lives are hurt. 
continually. I wasn't ready for that, but I realized that our church would get healthy at times when we threw that person out. Unity would come back. Peace, joy. People weren't being destroyed. And we've probably thrown at least 10 out over the 12 years. So they're throwing over the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? What does it mean that you are sleeping? How is it you're so calm? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause this trouble is upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard and returned to land, but they could not. The sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish from this man's life. And do not charge us with the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw it into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So, these men wanted to figure out uh, who it was that was causing this. This is interesting to me. Allow me to pontificate just a little bit on what's going on here. Um, Today, we would never encourage somebody to cast dice or whatever sticks or whatever lots that they were using to determine what was going on in our church or what was going on even on a ship when a storm was come. If a storm came on um, a ship that we were on, I don't even know that would cross even the African mind or the American mind especially, because we are so naturalist in so many ways, and I mean that. I mean, we we have a tendency just to look towards science for everything. Of 
course, there may be a scientific explanation of the storm. Wind comes up from the, whatever, the east. It blows down through valleys. It causes a rage. The, the, the condensation, the, you know, the, the hydrological cycle, um, water from rivers run or, uh, down into oceans after a period of time, you know, the, the water kind of goes up in condensation into the clouds. It floats back over. Uh, the land pours back down to our lakes and rivers, goes back to the ocean, comes back up, and that's the hydrological cycle. Of course, there's a scientific explanation. And today, we would not even do what these people do because we are not like those people. Our cultures aren't the same. Now, I mentioned a distinction between African and American cultures because you guys are a little bit more, you lean a little bit more this way. You may, as an African, say, what's going on? There is a supernatural spiritual thing happening here. So I acknowledge that may happen in some of the African minds, but even so much so in their culture and in their minds. And I'm just, I, I find it incredibly interesting that the first thing that they think is not a scientific explanation. It is a supernatural one. It is God has supernaturally intervened in the weather pattern because not only has God supernaturally intervened on the weather pattern, but it's because somebody is running from him. Somebody has caused this. Somebody's going against his will. And we need to discover who that is. Who in the world would think something like that in our modern times? We, at bare minimum, need to consider from a story like this, and, and we need to be careful because, you know, next thing you know, we'll be in the village cutting chickens and spreading their blood all over our floors, you know. We, we gotta be careful. But there is a reality. First of all, God is a reality. And God does intervene in life to try to get people's attention. And so while every single situation does not call for, I'm sick, what have I, what have I done? You know, because in the New Testament, we know that um, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, this man's been paralyzed since his birth. Who sinned? His parents or him? In other words, did his parents sin, which caused him being handicapped and paralyzed, or did his future sin cause him to be paralyzed? And Jesus said neither. This infirmity is not caused by somebody's sin, but that the glory of God may be manifested. So we know that there are many options to why things happen in our life, and not all of those options include the judgment of God on our lives. But we would be incorrect in assuming that none of our afflictions, none of the circumstances happening in our life 
are not God's judgment, but some natural scientific explanation. Okay? It's very important that you know that. It's very important that I know that. We need to consider, okay, this is happening. Is God telling me something? Is God trying to prevent, you know, this this thing? God can speak to us in very practical ways. In this sense, it's very practical. Yes, it's a supernatural. God's causing the storm. He's intervened with his hand. And these people automatically are like, gosh, this is such a bizarre storm. Perhaps these people knew very well the weather patterns of this region as they were professional sailors. Like this is a very unusual time for this storm to happen. And this is a very unusually powerful storm. God's trying to speak. And then, I don't know why their culture would draw the conclusion, not only is God causing the storm, he's causing the storm because someone on this ship is running from him. Somebody is causing this. So they cast lots. And God, guys, there's a lot of mystery here. But God in his sovereignty, his allowance, his mercy, he's just like, yes, I'm going to allow them to throw dice or throw lots, however it was their lots were. Some, there's debate on what lots were. And I'm going to allow them to discover what's going on with me and Jonah by the lots falling on Jonah. It's an amazing thing. Now, I'm not encouraging the throwing of lots. And the reason why is we have the whole Bible now. They didn't. But their superstition is valid, is what I'm saying. It is something's happening here spiritually. So as I would say the African, and I know, I'm not trying to diss you guys, because I know no one can like an African. But as the African, I would warn, when you look at something like this, <laughs> don't come all the way to the superstitious side all the time. But I would also say as an American, don't always just try to give a naturalistic scientific explanation for everything. It's like, oh God, let me, let me give you an example. There is this, um, a guy who went through the program that I've made mention at our home church. Don't worry, I'm almost done. Just 83 more minutes. He, he didn't really believe in God, but he was all messed up with the cords. He had done drugs and all these different things. And he was facing a very serious prison sentence. In fact, there was no reason he did, should not have got 20 years in prison. He had already had many offenses. He came to the program because he needed help with drugs and alcohol at our church. So I was, I was there back then. I hadn't moved to Africa yet. And at first when he came, because his court date was six months later, 
he would talk constantly about, ah, God, this God thing. And he, was, he believed in science. Uh, by the way, science points towards God. Uh, but he's, he, he's a, he didn't really believe in God, kind of an atheist. Well, wouldn't you know, about two months before his court date, where we were going to discover, most likely, there's no way this guy won't spend the next 20 years in prison. He started having us pray for him. <laughs> he started believing in God. I mean, we're praying for him. We're, we, we all were excited th thinking he got born again. He went to his court date. It was a miracle. He didn't get one day in jail, let alone 20 years. God intervened and showed favor. He comes back to the program and says, ah, that wasn't God. Nope, there's a perfectly reasonable, natural explanation for everything that went on. And we're like, you idiot. We took him out back and flogged him. No, we didn't. He needed to give God credit. He didn't. So the African should not all automatically go to there is a judgment going on here by God. And the American shouldn't automatically go as there's a natural. We need to consider all the possibilities. Um, Africans tend to be superstitious. That means overbelieving. They, they believe everything. It's like, you know, um, or Americans tend to be substitious. They believe underly. They, it's underbelieving. Or not even American Africans. City people tend to be substitious. They don't believe in anything. And village or country people tend to be superstitious. They believe everything. You know, they're, they're having entire witchcraft parties. Maybe some of you have been to them. We recently had an event, I hope he won't mind me saying because he's here tonight, one of our friends got in a peaky-peaky accident. And he hit his head really hard and maybe there was blood on the brain and he was in the hospital. And we were encouraging him and one of the things that he received, he says, listen, this is probably God trying to get your attention, trying to wake you up from your spiritual slumber. And he's responded very well. He's here. And we thank God for that event in his life. So when you see what's happening with Jonah, we can learn a valuable lesson that sometimes God will get our attention, and he has very many means to do that. He can get our attention through storms. Do you know oftentimes drought is God's judgment? When people in the Bible, and even in ancient times, when the drought hit their land, they would begin praying for God to bring them water. We know that sickness can be a judgment from God. God making somebody sick. 
I have been sick so much the last 12 years, I've often thought, God, uh, are you judging me? It's like, listen, I, I'm just gonna clear up everything right now. Let me repent. Is there something? And there has been some things. And then just like, Lord, okay. Now, every little cold that comes my way, I'm not always like, oh, I'm in God's judgment, you know. I'm not that way. But you guys know what I'm talking about. There are some things that are just so unusual a powerful storm, this or that. You know, my brother Joe has crashed a car, was it four times? Four or five times, I think it's four, running away from the police at over 150 kilometers per hour, and the cars have flipped. He's never broke a bone. Never even broke a bone. You don't survive something like that. You don't survive. Now, he's gotten some major cuts, some neck, you know, back injuries. Never broke a bone. Do you guys, listen, listen, I'm going to end. But I want to end on this point, so keep this in your mind. My brother Joe... Stole a car. I want to talk about deception because we can be deceived. These guys knew that there was a supernatural occurrence that God's judgment was on. So these guys, so my brother, he steals a car. He's in the program I've made mention of tonight. He steals the car. He goes back to the program, pulls the car in the parking lot. He goes into the program and starts taking a shower. Everyone starts looking for him because he was gone. Somebody found him. You know what, how they found him? He was singing worship music in the shower. Stolen car, in the shower, singing, over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. What kind of deception? So we have to call the police because we're law-abiding citizens and there's a stolen car in the parking lot of the church. The police come, he starts running away into the woods. He drowns in a river, a frozen river, well, a cold river, breaks through the ice. They get him out, they resuscitate him. They have to put him in a medically induced coma because his brain is swollen from the cold water. This is my family. He wakes up in the process of the couple days that he was in a medically induced coma. One of the ways that they make sure the body core temperature comes to level is they take a heating rod in the butt. So my pastor, some of you met him, Ken, he's next to my brother. When he wakes up, Ken's praying next to him. He says, hey, Ken, Ken, what? What's in my butt? <laughs> and my pastor says to him, everything you deserve. 
<laughs> he said, the way of the transgressor is hard, and in this case, hard and hot. A Couple months later, he gets out of jail, he's in the program, he steals another car. He's running from the police down the highway at a, over 100 miles an hour. Flips the car on the highway. The police call Ken. They say, no one can survive. He's probably dead. He didn't break a bone. He's in the hospital. He was knocked out for a whole day. He wakes up. Ken is by his side once again, praying for him. This is the level of deception. Do you know what he says to Ken? He says, hey, Ken, you know the car I stole? He said, yeah. He goes, those people are filthy pigs. There was trash everywhere in the car. <laughs> the level of deception, no consciousness of God saved me. God took his hand and wrapped it around my body as that car was flipping and didn't allow one bone to be broken. Four times. I don't even want to tell you the other two stories. They're just the same. We need to be careful that we don't miss the hand of God on our lives. I don't think my other brother would mind me saying tonight, I got the signal, I can say it, that God has judged him and taken everything from him to give him everything that he didn't have. Took away everything so he could have everything. Took away everything of the world so he could have everything that God wants him to have. This is God's judgment. God will get a hold of his children and his rebellious children, like Jonah, need to be keen and honest and spiritual enough to recognize the hand of God in the circumstances of their lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this true story. And as we study it this next couple weeks, I pray that you would do a work in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.